starring Bela Day in... But, Ma, that's my favorite movie. Oh, well, all right. But don't you spend too much time in front of that TV. Do you hear me? Yes, Ma. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of my podcast, But Ma, that's my favorite movie. And I am your gracious host for this evening, morning, afternoon, mid-morning, mid-afternoon, okay, wherever, okay? And today's episode is titled, But Ma, That's My Favorite Summer Movie. Now, before I get into the theme, I must take some time to thank my listeners. Now, if you're a returning listener... I appreciate you so much for lending your ears for as long as you have. And I need you to know I appreciate you because in this saturated world of podcasting, you choose to listen to little old me. So thank you. And you're a real one, period. Now, if you're a new listener, welcome. And thanks for listening in. You are definitely in for a treat because we got some real good content today. So stick around and let's get into it. All right. So first off, let's go into the theme. Okay. We're, uh, you know, Bum Ma's my favorite summer movie, right? So, okay. This summer theme is basically, it's going to be movies that has their setting during the span of a summer and i mean what better way to get into some summer energy than talking about movies centered around most people's favorite season now granted this is definitely not my favorite season but we all know normally summers are like the fun time you know every other season it's like you know school or work but summer is like seen as vacation you know warm weather you get to be outside so on and so forth Alrighty, so uh do you are y'all ready to get into these movies i had a pretty quick intro there <laughs> all right let's just get into this thing okay so um we're gonna go ahead and start with the first movie we got here light camera action i think we may have been very very wrong about the pants The one time I wore them, I almost drowned. The first movie that I'm going to be talking about is Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Now, this was released June 1st of 2005. Um, So we just passed an anniversary here for this movie. So that's going to be, oh my gosh, 15 years ago? Wow, this movie is 15 years old. It feels like it just came out yesterday, to be honest. That is absolutely crazy. All right, so let's go ahead and get into the summary of this movie. So this movie is about four best friends, and we're going to be following all of their different um, narratives within this movie. Now, I'm going to go ahead and describe each one of the friends, but as a disclaimer, whenever I add in their body type, It's actually to uh, visually help you understand a major plot point in this film. And if you've seen this film before, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. All right. So first we have 
Cardamon. 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 I can't roll my tongue, guys. We have Carmen, who is outgoing, charismatic, and the voluptuous one, okay? Uh, then we have Tibby, who is the uh, inspiring filmmaker, who is also the rebel type who has an average body. Then we have Lena, who is the conservative, modest one out of the bunch, who is petite. And then last but not least, we have Bridget, who is the sporty, ambitious babe who has more of a toned athletic body. And she's tall. Now, the beginning of the movie starts off where all the four ladies are going to a vintage store. And this is kind of like their last little outing together because um, these young ladies are about to venture off into... Well, they're about to venture on their own journeys apart. Now, granted, they've never spent a summer away from each other, but this summer is different um, because they're all going to be doing their own things because they all have just different things going on in your life. Of course, like, you know, as you start to, you know, branch out, you start leaving school and stuff like that, you know, there's, y'all have different interests and, you know, there's just different stuff that's going to be happening in your life. So... On the day that they're all going to be going on their own journeys, they go to this vintage shop together. And Carmen finds these jeans. And she's like, ooh, these are cute. Like, Tibby, you should try them on. So Tibby does. And when she puts them on, they fit her, like, perfectly, right? And then, of course, Tibby was the one like, the average build. And so everyone's like, oh, my God, they look so good on you. Now, normally, Tibby's not the one to wear kind of, like, form-fitting clothing. And these jeans fit her, like, just right, you know? You know, you get that pair of jeans where they're not too baggy. They're not too long. They're they're just right. Um, but, of course, Tibby, she's not impressed with them. And she's just like, yeah, how about you try these on, Lena? Because I don't want them. Because she's like, okay, if y'all think they're so cute, then you put them on. So Lena tries them on, and, and Lena's the petite one. And now, Lena, since she is the conservative one, she would prefer to, like, wear skirts or dresses. You know, something that makes her look more modest. Um, and I guess, I don't want to say, like, a girly girl, but she dresses like a lady. I guess that's a, maybe a good way of putting it. Um, and, and you know, at first she's kind of hesitant, but she's like, okay, I'll try them on anyway. So she tries them on, and they fit Perfectly. Now, this is a fluke, right? Two out of the girls, one's petite, one's average. Okay, they fit them. You know, that's, I mean, that's not a huge deal, right? Like, what's the odds of it? But then Lena, she ends up handing the pants over to Bridget. Now, Bridget is the taller one, you know, more athletically toned. And, of course, no way these jeans are going to fit her after fitting, you know, her other two friends who have a completely different body type than her. Um, especially since Bridget's the tall girl in the group. So then Bridget tries them on, and what do you know? They fit her perfectly. Now, the girls at this point, because there's three of them with three different body types that have tried these jeans on, and they fit them like a glove. Weird, huh? So the girls are a bit weirded out. And then they turn to Carmen because, of course, she's the last one. Now, the girls insist that Carmen tries them because they're like, oh, my God, well, if they fit all of us, they have to fit you. And Carmen is hesitant because 
there's no way it's going to fit her curves or go over her butt because she's the only one who has a butt in the group. So as a joke, Carmen's like, okay, I'll try them on. I'll entertain you guys since y'all think it's going to fit me. And I know it's not. It's probably not even going to go over my freaking leg, but oh well. And so Carmen's trying them on. She's like, yeah, guys, I know these aren't going to fit. And then as she's putting the jeans on, she's able to slide them on, zip them up, and button it. They're not tight. They're not snug. They fit her perfectly as well. And she doesn't notice it initially because she was too busy doubting herself. And so she doesn't even notice that they fit her perfectly. So at this point, all the girls are in amazement because this pair of ordinary jeans fits all of them. So they actually see this as a sign. So they buy the pair of jeans, they leave the shop, and they end up heading over to this um, vacant place where all the moms initially met. Now, they they give, like, a sort of a backstory um, towards the, like, beginning, beginning of the film where it shows, like, the moms are, like, in this Lamas or, like, yoga class. And little do they know, like, they're going to all become friends with each other. So, in this vacant place, they're talking about how these jeans fit them and, you know, just how crazy it is and that these jeans must be some sort of sign of good luck for them. So then they come up with the grand idea that since they're going to be apart for the summer, they should send the jeans to each other. And along with sending the jeans to each other, whenever they receive them, they will have to wear them and then write and or write document exactly what happens uh, exactly what happens when they wear those pair of jeans. Um, and, and they feel like it's just a way that's going to, you know, keep them connected. And then also it can keep them comforted during their time apart for the summer. Now, along with all of that, they actually come up with um, some rules um, with how uh, it, it's going to work whenever they get these pairs of jeans, Okay. All right, so number one, keep the pants for a week. So they got to keep the pants for a whole week. No picking your nose while wearing the pants. Um, you have to write a letter that details the most exciting thing that happened while wearing the pants. Uh, you have to document the events on the pants. And then any removal must be done by the wearer. So, you know, that, that, um, <laughs> that rule was definitely made for Bridget because they know how she is. Never wash the pants, no double cuffing, no tucking in your shirt. So that, that was definitely towards Lena. No thinking you're fat. That was for Carmen. And I think the double cuffing probably was towards Tibby. And then um, last but not least, pants equal love. Love your sisters and love yourself. So these pants are also seen as a sense of empowerment for them. So as we're following all these different narratives, um, you know, I'm just going to give kind of a brief overview of all of them. So Lena, who is played by Alexis Bedell, she visits her family in Greece. Now, mind you, this is her family that she's never met before. This is her first time meeting them. So she goes to Greece, is, you know, meeting this family for the first time, getting to know, you know, that side. And she actually ends up 
liking a boy who is a rival to her family. And then it becomes sort of this Romeo to Romeo and Juliet type of experience because this is her first time really, you know, finding love in someone or liking someone like this because, you know, she's definitely, like I said, she's the modest person. She's the, um, she's the more conservative one out of all her friends. And so she's finally finding love. And, you know, of course, when you really like someone, you, you drop your guards, your kind of boundaries kind of go away a little bit because you're just having fun with it, you know? All right. And then we have Bridget, who's played by Blake Lively. Uh, she ends up going to Mexico for a summer camp. Now, it's an all-girl camp, but one of the coaches actually turns out to be male. Actually, I, I want to say there was a female coaches, or maybe it was the only one. Because it was good with that he's the only one. But I, I want to say I think there was some more. But this was the one that ends up catching her eye. She finds him crazily attractive. And she actually begins to flirt with him and kind of pushing onto or walking onto unknown territory because one there's an age gap between them and two it's forbidden to have a relationship between you and the coach now granted i'm pretty sure they made that um they made that role probably thinking you know if the coaches are female and you doing that but i mean it could just be across the board um but like i mentioned before that's why i called her ambitious because she isn't the type of person to take no for an answer. And because she's also so young, she doesn't, she's not really thinking about what she's doing. She's just a really in the moment type of person. And I see something, I want it, then I'm going to go get it. But what she doesn't realize it's like, mm, this isn't, you know, like he's not one of your little high school friends or high school boys you can kind of chase after like he's an older man. So it's just... It makes the dynamic different. And granted, it looks like he does kind of, you know, is feeling her too. But, you know, he know he can't cross those bounds. But, of course, you know, some more stuff happens and you can figure that out. Uh, then we have Carmen played by America Ferreira. And she is actually super excited because she's um, going to spend time with her dad now, normally her dad only comes around twice a year, but when he does come around, she's super excited. And so she's thinking, you know, I get to spend some time with my dad. We're going to be able to do all this stuff together because they kind of had a sort of tradition of things that they or activities they would do whenever they did get to spend time with each other. Now, whenever she arrives, well, one... She instantly realizes when she's, when the, when her dad is driving to his home, she realizes, wait, this is like not where I remember you living. And so she ends up finding out that he is going to be getting married. So he's currently engaged and the woman he's engaged to has two kids. Now he didn't tell her this beforehand. So he's literally walking her straight into the fire that she has no idea of anything that's going on. So, of course, it's very abrupt and it's very random because she's seen her dad in one way, but now she's seeing her dad in a totally different way because there was something about, like, he didn't want to live in the suburbs or, like, live in kind of, like, commercial type of areas, you know? 
Um, and, and all of a sudden now he is, you know, he's living in a place he said he would never even go before. And he's talking to a woman that's the, or engaged to a woman that is completely opposite from her mom. And she's just seeing a totally different person and she's having a hard time grasping. Well, one, this different person, her dad is revealing himself to be and then also the fact that he is engaged he basically has his own little family at this point and she's just having to she's just having to deal with it i mean he's he's not going to give it up for her it's just one of those things she has to adjust to all right and then um last but not least we have tibby who actually doesn't go anywhere she's stuck at home and she is going to be working for the summer at Walmart's, I guess a play on Walmart. <laughs> and so, you know, she's making some extra cash because she's needing to get equipment because she wants to film a documentary. And like I mentioned before, she's an inspiring filmmaker. So, you know, in order to get what you need, especially in the beginning stages of any creative career, you have to have a job, you have to be able to pay for those expenses, you know? And so that's what she's doing. But what ends up happening with her is she meets this little girl who kind of attaches herself to her. And initially she's thinking this girl is like a pest and she's like, why are you around me? Leave me alone. But the girl keeps coming around, keeps coming around. And then the girl actually shows that The girl actually shows that she can be helpful with, because um, when she realizes that Tibby's filming a documentary, the little girl's like, oh, well, you know, I can hold the sound mic. I can do this. I, I Basically, I can be your assistant because the girl seems like she's actually pretty interested in, you know, doing documentaries as well. And so at first, Tibby's hesitant, but then she goes, oh, well, why not? I can use the help because she can't carry and do all that stuff by herself. So that actually you know, works out perfectly. Um, but then we end up finding out, you know, some really bad news about the little girl that Tibby has no idea of. And so, um, it does, you know, shift the dynamic of the relationship and just of Tibby's perspective about life because she's kind of, I don't want to say she's a down person, um, but she is sort of pessimistic. And this girl is, coming into her life for a reason she's teaching her a lesson and and initially of course she doesn't realize that we don't realize when lessons come into our life but in the aftermath and you know 2020 of everything that goes on then we go oh well that's why they were put into my life and so that that's one of those that's the situation that tibby ends up dealing with so pretty much you know all the girls are experiencing all of these different situations together even though they're apart. Does that make sense? Um, and it's and it's because with those pants, they're able to, you know, write in the letters what's going on and then sending it to the next person and then write what's going on and then send that to the next person, you know, so on and so forth. So all of their experiences during the summer, even though they're apart, it's actually bringing them closer. And it's also allowing each one of them to grow individually. 
And sometimes you have to be away from friends to be able to, you know, really grow and to really, you know, get to your potential. But of course, they're all by each other's side and they all support each other. Now, um, something I do um, want to say for this particular film, there's the two characters that I, I relate to. Um, one of them, Tibby, you know, because I am an aspiring filmmaker as well. I do this podcast to talk about movies because I really love talking about movies. And I normally don't have people that I can <laughs> sit down and talk to movies about. But I relate to her just on that level of, you know, kind of, I guess, trying to find your niche, trying to, you know, just being in that place of aspiring filmmaker, working a job and trying to, you know, be able to afford, you know, things you want to help elevate you in the career that you're having, you know, to build yourself initially. And then also how life can seem mundane or you know sometimes is it worth it you think is it worth it and then you you realize something you're passionate about and it helps you to keep going the other character I relate to is Carmen because I am from a divorced family and you know it's a situation where of course you know each one of my parents they you know had their own lives but you know specifically with my dad he, you know, create a family with someone else. And so, you know, it's it's initially hard, especially when you're a kid, because you don't understand a lot of stuff. And um, you think whenever your family gets extended, where you start having half-brothers and sisters and stuff like that, you, you really... It, it's hard to kind of grasp and understand because when you care about that person in the middle denominator, your parent, you care about them so much and it's almost like you want to win over their attention and, you know, you want to be, you know, like I'm their kid and you, you want to spend as much time with them and you don't want to, you don't want to share them. It's that idea that you just want your parent all to yourself. And it's almost, I guess it's like a territorial thing. And so... And then also the fact of, you know, having someone else in the picture, their significant other. And, you know, depending on... Now, if they try to build a relationship with you, that's fine. But, you know, the ones that kind of... Whenever they do build their family and they want to exclude the kids that they had previously, you know, it can cause quite a strain. And, you know, that could be pretty damaging to the kids whenever they deal with stuff like that. So I understood Carmen's frustration in this film. Like, I felt it. I, like, really felt that. Because um, I want to say at one one scene in the movie, she sees, she, well, she, she, she leaves abruptly. I forgot exactly what happened. And she comes back to the house. Well, she left. Um, she comes back to the house. And she realizes it, they weren't frantic. They weren't worried. Because she thought, okay, if I kind of, like, disappear for a little bit, they're going to go after me. And she goes back to the house. She looks in the window because they have one of the, you know, um, floor to ceiling windows. And right by that window is like their dining room table. And they're just the two kids, uh, the his fiance, the dad, they're all sitting at the table. They're laughing. They look like they're enjoying themselves. And she's like, wow, like I disappeared and they don't even care. And she throws a rock in the window because you feel alienated like I was here first and now they're in the picture and it seems like he cares more about them and so <sighs> y'all childhood trauma yeah <laughs> all right but um just some um, l- let's go over the cast well I went over the cast 
um, that we have in this film. But I guess I can go ahead and talk about movies that they've been in. And then I want to mention some other cast members as well. All right, so um, Tibby played by Amber Tamblyn. Uh, it looks like she played some TV series. She played 127 Hours. Um, of course, she was in the sequel of this movie. More TV shows. Yeah, she's, you know, she has had, you know, she's had a pretty good career for herself and some other movies and TV shows. Um, then we have um, Alexis Bedell, who's played by Lena. And she played in... Oh my God, she starred in Gilmore Girls. She starred in that show. Um, she was also in Sin City and then Tuck Everlasting. Then we have America Ferreira. Um, she played in Ugly Betty, and she played in. She's playing in like the recent uh, TV show Superstore. She also did a voice in How to Train Your Dragon. Uh, the Good Wife, yeah, she's playing some other shows and some other movies as well. Yeah, she's had a pretty, pretty good career as well. Let's see, Blake Lively, who plays Bridget, she was in The Age of Adeline. Of course, she's starting uh, Gossip Girl. She played in The Town. She played in The Shallows. Blake Lively is pretty much a household name, so people people know her when they hear her name. Uh, then we have uh, Jenna Boyd. And she was little in this movie, but of course she has grown up now because this movie was 15 years ago. Uh, she she She's played in the Atypical series that's on Netflix, The Ghost Whisperer, uh, Mr. Mom. So, you know, a couple other shows and some movies um, that she's played in. Um, then we have Bradley Whitford. Ooh, oh my God, he played in the recent Get Out. He played in Saving Mr. Banks, Cabin in the Woods, The West Wing. We have Nancy Travis. Oh my gosh, she played in So I Married an Axe Murderer. I didn't even freaking realize that. I need to watch that movie again. I haven't seen it forever. She played in Greedy, Three Men, and A Little Lady. Uh, then we have Rachel. We have Rachel Tocotin. Uh, she played in Total Recall, Con Air, Falling Down, The Eye. Yeah, she, she has quite the resume as well. Then we have Michael Vogel. Oh yeah, he played. He was in The Help, Cloverfield. She's out of my league. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We have Michael Rady. Let's see. Uh, he played in Jay Edgar, The Guardian. Okay, and um, the last one I'm gonna do. We have Skyle Schmid. And what I know him for, to be honest, is Cheetah Girls. He played a love interest in Cheetah Girls with Raven Simone. Um, but it looks like he also played in Being Human, which I watched that show. And I don't remember seeing him on there. Um, also, History of Violence, Six, Cooper. And then the director of this movie is Ken Kowapis. I hope I said that right. And let's see what he's done. Oh, look. Yeah, these movies. Oh, it looks like he, he directed some episodes in the Santa Clarita Diet, which I've watched that show. Directed some episodes of Black AF. Yeah, it looks like he's he's directed, you know, his his resume is in television for sure. Um, so maybe this was one, of, you know, one of the few films he's actually directed. I mean, he's directed some films. I've never heard of them. This was the one that I actually know of. But the other ones are like known TV shows he's directed. All right, and um, let's go ahead and just get through this trivia really quickly. Okay, so Blake Lively's father, Ernie Lively, she he actually plays her father in this movie. I thought that was pretty cool. 
Um, less than a week before shooting was to begin, the people who owned the original choice of location for Tibby's house decided they didn't want to film crew inside their house after all. So the filmmakers quickly found a new location for the living room scene and built Tibby's bedroom on a soundstage. I absolutely love when they do stuff like that because everything looks so cohesive how it's edited in the film that it gives you the illusion that it's all in one place and that this was filmed at a house. So that was cool. Um, the Pants Manifesto scene uh, was actually filmed by placing the camera on a 360-degree dolly track around the girls. However, it was virtually impossible for the camera to complete the circle around them without its own shadow being visible at some point in the scene. But luckily, the visual effects people came to the rescue and they erased that shadow from the shot. I love I love like things like that. Like I'm I'm assuming like when they do they film like mirror scenes and stuff, they're able to just if someone shows in the shot or like let's say if it's in the mirror or something, they're able to just like edit them out. I think visual effects are absolutely freaking crazy. Um then we have Alexis Bedell who went through a summer camp training to learn how to ride a Vespa, a mule scuba dive and took drawing lessons in preparation for this film so a lot of the things you see the characters doing you will be so surprised how they have to take time out to actually train to do certain things and you know that's a that's a small portion you know you think when the script like oh i'm riding a horse or oh i'm swimming this or i'm doing this and and people are training for these parts this isn't like they just go in and just do it um so i always find things like that fascinating as well all right, so we're going to go ahead and we are done with that movie. Let's jump into the next one. We want to keep this summer vibe going. All right, so we got our next movie here and let's get into it. Lights, camera, action. You're killing me, Smalls. Everyone should freaking know where that's from. And I mean, that that's self-explanatory. We are going to be talking about The Sand Lie, which was released April 7th, 1993. And to get into the summary of this movie here, so um, it begins where the narrator is talking about a legend in baseball. And he talks about this legend in baseball because this legend is very relevant to the story he's going to be telling. So he ends up talking about Babe Ruth, the great Bambino. And he's, you know, talking about how he's a legend and pretty much what made him a legend in baseball. And then he ends up diverting to talking about how he had his own neighborhood legend who actually taught him all about baseball and actually helped him get out of a gym one particular summer. So we end up flashing back to 30 years. So at this point, the narrator, of course, he's grown up. So we're going back 30 years. And this is in summer of 1962. Scotty Small. So the narrator of this film, we see him when he's younger. So he's, in, he's about middle school age. I think he's around like 10, 11, something like that. Maybe 12. So Scotty Smalls, he's just moved into a new neighborhood in the valley we learned that his dad died when he was a little kid. And his mom had just remarried a year before they moved to the Valley. So Scotty is still getting used to his stepdad. And they're still trying to um, learn each other and, you know, create a bond. We can say that previously the stepdad 
and Scotty had some type of conversation that the stepdad had said, like, you know, one day he'll teach Scotty all about the game. All about the game and, like, how to catch because, you know, Scotty's not very good at it. So, in the beginning of the film, we see Scotty go into his stepdad's room. Now, this room is, like, his, it's his trophy room. It's where he keeps all his memorabilia from baseball. And I think there's another thing. I, I think maybe it could have been a situation where, I don't know if Scotty was previously interested in baseball or he became interested in it so that he can create a bond with his stepdad, which his name is Bill. So he wants to create a bond with Bill. And so he goes in his trophy room. He sees Bill in there and he goes, hey, you know, remember you said you were going to teach me uh, how to catch? He was like, well, you know, I'm ready to learn. And Bill's like, okay, yeah, cool. And he's actually cleaning off one of his baseballs. And it's his baseball. He got signed by Babe Ruth. So then Scotty just kind of stands there after Bill's like, okay. And then Bill looks at him. And basically he's looking at him like, okay, why are you still standing here? So Scotty ends up leaving. And then the um, next day... Scotty goes to what they call the sand lot. And so this is just like an off place in the neighborhood where it, you know, it's set up like a little, you know, baseball area or arena, wherever you want to call it. Guys, I don't know sports. Okay, so he he sees that there's these all these other kids there. And he wants to join them, but he's kind of shy too. He's not really in... Uh, he's not a outgoing person or extroverted person just walking to people. Hey, my name is so-and-so. So he's like, okay, I'll hang out over here, but I'll just wait in the back. And then like, you know, if the ball happens to come back here, I can just like catch it and then we'll start a conversation with them. So he's standing way back there. And then all of a sudden he, the fence that's behind them starts kind of rattling a little bit. And there's like these weird noises coming from behind it. And initially, Scotty's, like, mesmerized because he's like, oh, my God, what is that sound? That sounds, like, creepy. And he's so mesmerized by it that he doesn't realize that, uh, I, I believe it was Benny, he ends up hitting the ball. It flies in his direction. And initially, you know, they weren't paying attention. They didn't see him. But then when they see him, they're like, oh, catch the ball, catch the ball. And, of course, Scotty doesn't catch the ball because Scotty's not good at catching. So then... Instead of catching it, it ends up hitting him. And then it rolls close to the fence where he was hearing that noise. Now, he's slightly scared and nervous, but he does end up, you know, sneaking over to the fence to grab the ball. Now, as soon as he grabs the ball... Well, first off, when he didn't catch the ball, the kids thought it was funny and they was laughing at him. But once he get gets the ball, he tries to throw it. But he doesn't really know how to throw either. Um, so it doesn't... I mean, the ball don't go nowhere. And so, of course, the kids start laughing at him again. Scotty's humiliated. He runs off. Now, that night, his mom actually comes up to him, and she's just like, hey, did you make any friends? And, you know, he's like, yeah, no, that didn't happen. So then the mom is just, like, begging him to try to make some friends. She's like, go out and play, meet people, scrape your knees, get dirty, get into some trouble. Like, golly. And so, uh, you know, of course, the her son's just like, okay, like, you know, I can try. But he just knows, this, you know, you're a kid. And 
everything feels like the end of the world and you know going up to people you know can give you like extreme anxiety and he's not one of them kids like I said that's super like extroverted or anything so um so what ends up happening is um the next day Scotty goes back up to his stepdad and he's like you know hey can we play catch because you know he just asked him that and you know initially the bill agrees he's like yeah yeah I'll play catch with you but it has to be when I'm done working. But then his mom ends up stepping in, in and she tells him, you can spare some time to play some catch with him. Like, just a half an hour. And initially, Bill's like, I can't. Like, I'm working too much. But then she's, like, giving him that, like, you better do this. And so, um, he's like, okay, fine. I'll play catch with the boy. And you can just tell that his mom wants them to have that bond together. Because she knows things are kind of... I guess, like, stagnant in their relationship. Like, you know, she knows Scotty feels awkward around him. And Bill, I guess, kind of feels awkward around him. Because he doesn't... He don't, I'm assuming he don't have no kids. So, I guess he doesn't really know how to act around them. But anyway, so, they end up going out playing catch. Of course, Scotty is falling to catch the ball. Uh, he doesn't really know how to throw it. And then, finally, Scotty does end up catching the ball. But he ends up hitting himself and giving himself a black eye. Now, a few hours later, one of the guys, who we end up learning is Benny, uh, from the Sandlot, comes over, and he's like, hey, you want, you know, we need an extra guy, do you want to come play with us? And, of course, this guy's like, oh my god, this is my opportunity, we can go play together. So, then, uh, Benny brings Scotty over to the rest of his friends, and then we get introduced to everybody. So, Benny is Benjamin Franklin Rodriguez, we have Michael, a.k.a. Squints, Alan, a.k.a. Yaya, Kenny... And then, I think they call him by his last name in the movie, but we're going to go with Kenny. Then we have Hamilton, a.k.a. Ham, which that's where the quote came from. You're killing me, Smalls. That's his line that he says in there. The iconic line. Then we have Timmy. And then we have Tommy, a.k.a. Repeats. And now, he said Timmy and Tommy. I was like, that sounds like one name almost. But, no, those are two different uh, names. And I think they are brothers. I was kind of confused if they were brothers. I want to say, let's just go with they, they were brothers. So then the boys end up going to the sandlot to play. And then initially they think Scotty's a lost cause because he can't throw, he can't catch. Like, this dude is dead weight. What are we going to do with him? So then Benny ends up being, you know, the good guy that he is, that he proves to be. And he gives Scotty some pointers. You know, he tells them, like, hey, did you ever throw a newspaper before? Okay, use that same method, but do that with the ball. And then when Scotty's like, well, how do I catch the ball? He's like, just stick your hand out. And he was like, I I got the rest. I I got you. So, of course, this actually makes Scotty pretty good because he catches the ball for the first time and he throws it good for the first time. And so, you know, of course, this is then, this is like the starting point of a good friendship between them all, you know? Okay, so then the next day, they go back to the sandlot. Him actually ends up hitting the ball over the fence. And Scotty's like, oh, I'll go get it. And then, of course, they're like, run up to him. No, 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 like begging him not to climb the fence. And as he was like mid-climb, they like pull him off the fence. And then they explain to him, like, you cannot go over to that fence because... That's where the beast is. And then Scotty's like, what's the beast? So then they're like, a sleepover. And so then they, you know, do their whole little spill. They introduce, explain to him what the beast is, why you can't go over there and all that stuff. So fast forward all that, you know, they end up 
getting along really well. Scotty becomes uh, better at the game. And, you know, they're just playing baseball, being kids, enjoying their summer like we all did, okay? And, okay, fast forward in time, okay? So this is, like, one of the major plot points after, you know, all the fun and games and stuff. Um, Then we enter into the territory where, okay, this is just, like, a normal day. Uh, They buy, because they always buy baseball before they play. They buy baseball because they always end up losing them over the fence. So they buy a baseball. They're playing like normal. Benny ends up freaking hitting the ball so hard, it busts open. Now... They cannot afford to get another ball. So, Scotty is then like, oh, yeah, I'll get another ball because he doesn't want the day to end. Because I guess it's pretty much like if we can't play baseball, then we're all going to go home and, and this is the end of the day. So, then Scotty's like, oh, I got a ball. And he ends up taking the ball that his stepdad had that was signed by Babe Ruth. Like, really, dude? But he didn't even understand what babe, who Babe Ruth was. He's just thinking, oh, somebody just signed a ball. So he brings the ball. They're playing. They're having fun. And then what do you know? Scotty's first time knocking it out of the park, literally, over the fence is with the signed baseball. Now, initially, they're all happy for him because they're like, oh, my God, you finally, you know, hit the ball out the park. Like, congrats. And they're all happy. And he's happy, too. And so you realize, wait, I took, I wait, the signed baseball is over the fence that we can't even go to. So this is when stuff gets real. Because at first, the kids are like, oh, well, you know, you just knocked the baseball over. It's no big deal. And, and then they also think, oh, well, maybe he's in shock. Maybe he's in shock because he did that. Like, you know, this is his first time. He's probably in amazement. And then Scotty begins to explain, like, no, that was an autographed ball. Like, my stepdad's going to kill me if I don't get that ball back. And the kid's like, okay, well, what do you mean autographed ball? Like, who is it? And so he's like, it was signed by some girl. And they're like, girl? Uh, the name was, like, Ruth. Baby Ruth. They're like, babe, Ruth. And then, <laughs> because, like, the whole movie, like, you know, Scotty has no under like he understands how to play the game, but he doesn't know anything about anyone who's played the game. And so, you know, they explain to him like that's one of the greatest players ever. That's you know one that they look up to. Like, how do you not know about him? So then, what ends up happening is they come up with this plan. One, they buy a baseball. Well, they pick up cans or they earn some money somehow where they buy a baseball. Uh, Benny signs it. They put it in the uh their Scotty stepdad's trophy room in the meantime and then they try all these different ways to try to retrieve the ball <sighs> because of course they have to get the original one back because that's the freaking signed ball and so i mean that's pretty much what they do towards the end is just trying to retrieve the ball and all of that good stuff okay all right so just to kind of go over some standout scenes that i really like in this movie okay so first of all the camp out s'more scene so this is the scene right when um after they're explain talking about the beast and you know they immediately say they what do they say they go camp out or something like that and so they're in this tree house that's like literally the treehouse is built on the sand lot and they can actually see over where the beast is. And so what's funny about this scene is there's one part where 
uh, Ham, he, the one who's like, you're killing me, Smalls. He asked um, Scotty, he goes, he goes, want a s'more? And Scotty's like, some more what? And then Ham is like, no, 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 you want a s'more. And then Scotty's like, I haven't had anything yet, so how can I want some more of nothing? And, <laughs> and this is the first time when Ham says, you're killing me, Smalls. Because he's like, dude. Because... I guess where um, Scotty's from, like, there's just a lot of things he just doesn't know. Or I guess maybe he just never had that experience of, like, being around kids and them kind of, like, doing their own thing. And, like, I don't know, maybe it's the era that they live in. But anyway, so then um, we get to the point where Squints. We get to the point where Squints ends up telling the story about the Beast and basically how... um, the you know the neighbor he got uh, I think his name was Myrtle Myrtle got this puppy to defend off burglars but this puppy was eating like meat like huge like I guess carcasses of meat um and he was killing these burglars and you know even disposing of the bones of them and then eventually this beast got so big that you know, the city and the cops are like, okay, you can no longer have him there. He's too big. And you have to, you know, have him chained up for the rest of his life. But just the scene and how they tell it, it's just so funny. And what I really love is the banter between all these kids. Like, it's so adorable. And it's just, I don't know, it's just like they're little kids, but they're talking like they're adults. And it's super cute. Okay, then the other scene that I like is the carnival scene. And so basically what ends up happening is they end up winning this game from their rival. So it's these other kids who play baseball too. And they're all in uniforms and stuff. So you can tell that they do it like probably in like minor leagues or whatever. Or whatever it's called where kids play the baseball. And so they play a game with them. Of course, they freaking blow them out the park. Because those kids, they play every day. They're super good. They're super serious about it. And they also have fun. And they beat them. So as um, a celebration, they go to the carnival. Benny pays for them all to have tickets. And then Timmy actually ends up pulling out some tobacco that he had got. I'm guessing he probably snuck it from his parents. And he was like, you know, I was waiting for a special occasion. And, you know, what more perfect time than this? So the kids think that they're like cool like we're gonna chew some tobacco because that was the thing in the 60s so they're chewing the tobacco they decide to get on this um one ride that like you know it's the ride where it's a circle and it spins around and kind of like wall like i would say kind of like wobbles um up and down as well kind of and so they get on this ride they're you know super excited and as it's spinning around they actually start to get really sick and they're playing that one song on it it's like dun 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 or whatever it has that one part it's like tequila and so the kids like start getting sick and then they end up just vomiting everywhere vomiting on people it's like really gross but it was super funny um and then the last thing i wanted to talk about is the pool scene okay squints actually has this crush on a girl in town and Wendy, he's had a crush on her for years which is funny because he's probably only like 10 or 11 so they're like he's had a crush on her for three years so he liked her since he was either like seven or eight so that's funny and so because what do you know about liking somebody then so then you know he's admiring her and they're all in the pool and then he gets to one point because she's like putting on lotion and stuff and you know one of them is like she doesn't know what she's doing. And then one of the other guys was like, no, 
she knows exactly what she's doing. Exactly. And so, you know, pretty much Squinch is like, I can't take it anymore. They're like, oh my God, what's wrong with him? So he ends up like going to the other side of the pool, which is actually deeper and is going to jump off this diving board. And they're like, oh my God, Squinch cannot swim like he's like he's finally snapped after all these years <laughs> and that's why i'm like it's so funny because they're like little kids and so then um squinch jumps in of course he like goes to the bottom he doesn't come up wendy is the lifeguard at this uh pool so she ends up diving in pulling them out everyone's crowned around him she's performing cpr and, you know, the friend's like, oh, my God, he looks like a dead fish. Oh, my God, he doesn't look too well. And so then all of a sudden, as she's performing CPR, she's at the point where she's listening to his chest to see if he's, you know, responding to her, you know, breathing in his mouth. He looks over at his friends and he smiles. And he quickly closes them. As soon as she puts her mouth back on his, he ends up kissing her. Of course, that freaks her out. She's like, oh, my God, you little tweet, like... What the heck? Like, why would you play like you're drowning to do this? And you kiss me? Ugh. Like, you're a little freaking kid. And so, they end up being kicked out of the pool, banned for life. But what's funny is after they get banned, kicked out, he goes, uh, Squints goes back to the fence. He looks at the, you know, Wendy that's sitting up on her lifeguard chair. And she ends up still waving at him and smiling. Because <laughs> he's he, he still has the crush on her. But, um... Yep, you know what? That's all I got for this movie. And um, let's see here. Yeah, so this pretty much brings us to the end of this episode. Now, I thank you again for listening. Please don't be afraid to tell a friend or a stranger. You know, just walk up to somebody and be like, Hey, have you listened to the But Mom's My Favorite Movie Podcast? And I'll be like, no. you be like, oh my God, you can listen to it on Apple, Google Podcasts, Breaker Audio, Spotify, um, Radio Public, Pocket Cast. You know, all those good channels. And please, if you're feeling this episode or any of the episodes, don't be afraid to like or comment. I can, I'll take compliments. I'll take constructive criticism. Um, You know, all of that is definitely welcome. And also, please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so that you will be notified every time a new episode um, is released. <sighs> all right, guys. I wish you to be safe out there, wear your mask, practice social distancing, and I really hope you enjoyed this episode, and I know summer's already started, but maybe this puts you in more of a summer mood. Let's hope so. Oh, um, something I wanted to mention at the beginning, but I didn't. Okay, uh, well, two things. One, I just want to give a little credit to IMDb. That is my Bible. That's what I live for. I love IMDb. So most of my information, other than like, you know, summaries and stuff, um, that is where I get all my information for this movie. And every time I watch movies, I look up there, you know, you can find all facts and trivia and all that good stuff. And then two, um, I haven't really said anything about it yet because I wanted to see, you know, how the flow of this was going to go. But let's go ahead and just say it's official. You can expect an episode every Thursday. Um, that's been the pattern so far. Now, I did skip 7-2 because I was procrastinating, but you know what? That's my business. But I did release two episodes that following week on the 9th and 10th. So, 
yeah, so yeah, expect them every Thursday. I may have, um, depending on, you know, what episodes I may want to add into the mix or if things get shuffled around, I may add like another one on Friday. Uh, so the extra ones will either probably be on like Friday, Sundays, or Mondays, one of those days. And yeah, that's it. You know what? The credits are rolling. The show is over. And you know what? I'll see y'all at the next show time.